We are in a series right now through the book of Acts, and so I am so lucky. I got Acts chapter 5, and it's the story about Ananias and Sapphira. And if you've ever heard this story, it could be one of the strangest stories in the entire Bible. Um, I, I, was, <laughs> I took it a lot of different directions. I think we ended up in a good spot, but it was, uh, it's, it's a wild one, and Buckle up. So this is Thanksgiving, and that's one of those weeks where we take a moment to stop and to be thankful, to be thankful for family, thankful for God, thankful for lots of different things. And we have this sort of call and response. Maybe you've heard of it in the church where you say, God is good, and the crowd usually says, all the time, and then the guy says, all the time, and the crowd says, yeah, yeah, it's... It's world-renowned. I think sometimes, though, when you read certain scriptures or you look around in the world we live in, and you sort of get to this place where you go, you know what? Is God good all the time? I mean, when I look around, I see war, sex trafficking, innocent people treated so badly, cancer. It just goes on and on. And you think, is God good all the time? And then you get to the story in Acts 5, and it's this really strange story where it could have you thinking, I don't know if that sounds like God is good. And so I want to jump into it and kind of explore this question, is God good all the time? Last week, Elisa sort of set the stage with telling you about the Roman Empire, and as I was listening to it, it was a great explanation of the world that was around the Christians. There's this new group of Christians forming. They're young. They're very, very new. The new church was being formed. The Roman Empire had a very different way of living. They did believe in philanthropy. People were good at giving, and they gave to lots of things. But when they gave, it was to receive. It was to get honor and respect, and you did it. We see it in our world today. You know, I will give to this wing of the hospital if you put my name on it. You know, I've done a couple of those. It's nice to have my name on them, but it's kind of a, you, do, you get all your honor right then. You know what I mean? You guys are all there. But... The Christians come along, and they set the stage for a whole different world. A whole, it was counterculture. It was, we're going to give to bless those around us. And when we give, people aren't even going to know. It's going to be something where we want the community to be stronger. We want everyone who is in need to be taken care of. We're not giving to get. We're giving because we love God. It was counterculture. So here's where that flavor comes out. It's Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 35. Let me set the stage. It says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. Very counterculture. But they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them, at all that there were... Uh, in them all, that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the cells, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. That was unheard of. And people took notice. They, they noticed this. This is a, a church that's growing at an unprecedented rate. And here's what they're doing. They're selling their homes and land and giving it to the church it was unheard of. 
And then Barnabas comes along. This is verse 36. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, the writer Luke, you always want to notice when Luke writes something, because Luke was like, he was a doctor, and everything was very um, to the point. And so through the whole book of Luke, you see very to the point statements. So when he writes this, it must have had a pretty big impact, because he takes the time to name them and to say what they're doing. So here we lead into Ananias and Sapphira, chapter 5. And when you take it out of context, it could be one of those, those strangest stories in the Bible. Because at first glance, we have a couple who is moved by God, and they decide, they see what everybody else is doing, they see what Barnabas did, and they want to do the same thing. Great. Verse 5, or I'm sorry, chapter 5, verse 1. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. Now, Stop there for a moment and think through that. That's a big deal. That, that's a, like, I don't see many Christians do that. They do. Uh, a lot of times when people pass away, they'll have their property or, or something given to the church. Someone just uh, did it recently to a church down the street. It's an amazing thing when it happens, but usually it's when someone passes away. This is in their lifetime. They're in the midst of this new church, and these people are selling their homes and putting it at the apostles' feet. It's a big deal, and it's kind of neat to see it. And here's how it continues. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, notice it's the same phrasing. Again, this is Luke. This is how he writes. He's wanting to say something in the phrasing. In verse 35, it was uh, from time to time, people would sell their possessions and put them at the apostles' feet. We get to Barnabas in, in verse 36. He sold a field, he put it at the apostles' feet. What he's getting at is it was in the same heart as it began. The action as it began was, I want to do what everyone else is doing. I want to be part of this movement. I'm excited about what God is doing, so I'm going to do the same thing. There's just this inner struggle that grabs them somewhere along the way and says, I don't... I can't quite do all of this. And so he does just a portion. Verse 3, Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? This is about the lying part. You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. And when Ananias heard this, he dropped dead. That's a fascinating little piece of history. He drops dead, and everyone is in fear. Like, this is what the next scriptures are talking about, is fear struck everyone. Like, this is serious. This is, the guy just dropped dead. This is pretty serious. Then verse 7, about three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me. Is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. And Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. And at that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. 
Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Now, Matt Dietz wanted me to put something in here that you guys all need to know. This is the first act of a youth ministry. They the young men that came in and took the dead body out, just so you, he wanted you guys to know that. I don't know why, but he said it. But talk about overkill, right? Literally. Uh, both are dead. And you look at the story and you go, ah, God, that seems a little intense. Seems like a big response to someone wanting to give. If, if one of you came in and you sold your house and you kept a portion and lied to me about how much you were giving, I'd be like, you know what? I appreciate the, any gift you're giving. Great, right? I think most of us would have that response. But there's something more to this story. And at first glance, taken out of context, kind of seems like God's mean. Kind of seems that this might be one of those moments that God seems bad. And I'm not sure I can say God is good all the time. So let's explore it. I was in India this last couple weeks. It was incredible. Um, I learned a lot about Hinduism, though. And I try not to talk about other religions too much. It's not really helpful in most scenarios. You just focus on Christ, and that's about it. But the, there was just so much, so much that was happening in this culture because of religion. First, there's the caste systems. If you're not familiar, caste, you're basically born into a certain caste, and there's class systems. And then the lowest of the low, you're not even on the system, are these kids called the Dalit children. And it is awful. Because the thought here, you can have a mansion next to a slum and not care. Because God has decided which people are blessed. And you know what? If you're good enough and you live your life well enough, when you're reincarnated, maybe you'll move up a caste. Maybe you'll move up to finally becoming the cow, which is like the greatest of the greatest for some odd reason. We all strive to be at the cow level. And what's funny is that's not a joke. I think that's actually real. Uh, anyway, I'm going to get way off track if I go into that. So going back to this low part, so if you're in the slow part and you are also a girl, it's even worse because, again, in this whole system, when you, the parents have arranged marriages, which I do agree with, the parents have these arranged marriages, and uh, yeah, I know. Um, what was I saying? I lost my train of thought. I know oh, the girls, right. So you have to go to the parents of the boy and offer up, you know, again, cows and livestock and whatever to then have the boy. So if you are a girl at the lowest, not even on the caste system, like that is the lowest of the lowest, it's really difficult for these parents to even take care of a child. And so what they're doing is they're taking them to temples and giving them to the temple. Some of it's because of finances. Other parts of it is because of a gift to God for their next life. But what's actually happening is they're being put into temple prostitution. And at this moment, there are over 200,000 girls ages 10 to 12 in these temples being used as prostitutes. Now, it's hard to say God is good all the time when that's going on. It's hard to understand God at all. Now, we don't serve the God of Hindus, and so we kind of say, yeah, that's them. But that's not how the world looks at it. 
God is God, and so whether it's priests who are abusing children or it's the trauma of what we've seen throughout our own history, there's just lots of times when we can look at the situation and go, God, what in the world is going on in this world? I'm going to come back to this particular India story in a moment. But when we look at Acts 5, I think they're connected. So in Acts 5, you have a story or a a message that's really about giving. And from the outside perspective, it looks like Barnabas and Ananias and Sapphira are giving the same gift. I mean, it's two people selling land, putting at the the apostles' feet. Uh, one lied about it, and God struck him down, dead. So what's, what's, what's the difference? Well, that would be me coming to you and going, all right, I want everyone today to give $100 towards India. And so what does that mean? Does that mean from the outside perspective, it's all the same? Yeah, but not from the insider. Some of you come today, and $100 is no big deal. You're like, yeah, absolutely, I'll write that check. Others of you, $100, that would really hurt you this week. That would be difficult for you to do, and it would cost you something else. And so the $100 on the outside looks like the same gift, but on the inside it is not. And then there's the heart of it. For some, when you hear about giving $100 at church, it's like, absolutely. Like Giving is one of my favorite things to do. I love the giving time. It gives me a chance just to worship God some more in my gifts. Absolutely. Then there's another part of this crowd that's going to say, I can't handle how much the church talks about money. And this guy is talking about again. And you're still struggling through the giving aspect of church. And a lot of people stop going to church because of it. So from the heart of it, it's not the same. So the same thing is going on with this story. Sure, it looks the same, but it's not. It's two different people. It's two different people in the heart of it and what it is being given. That's what you have to look at in these two examples. So let's look at it. First, we have Barnabas. What's his example? Well, we've seen Barnabas talk many times at this point about Jesus. In fact, he was one of the ones that is traveling around telling people about Jesus. Later on in Acts chapter 11, it says this about him. A great number of people were brought to the Lord through the actions of Barnabas. So his example is first in his good deeds. Far before it, it's all about this gift of what he's giving to them in money or finances, it began with just his good deeds and sharing in his example. And he knows that he's accountable for that. So it continues on. It says his nickname is Son of Encouragement. So before we get to his good deeds, before we get to the giving, we have him showing just encouragement to his people around him. He's accountable for the God's gifts in his life, and so he's showing it in all of his actions first. When it finally shows up later with awe and honor, we see that Barnabas feeling so blessed in who God is, so blessed that have him as a, just to be able to be in the presence of the Lord, that the Holy Spirit would dwell in him. The action of giving is just for him another act of worship. It just flows out of who he already is as a giver because he loves God. Those who fear the Lord, those who understand that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge, understand that this giving is another act of saying God is king and God is Lord. We see that with the example of Barnabas. With Ananias and Sapphira, we see something else. 
their example's a little bit different. Now, it's not awful, and I really want to stress this. They're in the midst of it, and they, they see what God's doing. They see the movement, and they want to be a part of it. They're just caught between two worlds. One is the Roman Empire that's all around them in the act of giving and getting the honor and the blessings when you give. They see that, and so they want to be a part of it. But then they hold back because they're like, I also want to make sure that we're taken care of, that we're able to do what we need to do. They can't quite go all the way. And where we see that throughout the Bible is something with the term lukewarm. And he talks about it all the time. They're caught in this lukewarm phase of, yes, I believe. Yes, I love this God. But I can't quite let go of the world I'm in either. Their example doesn't quite hold up when it's tested. And it is being tested. At this point, the outside attack of Satan has been strong. Think about it. The religious leaders are attacking the civil leaders are attacking, and the church is thriving. It's growing by thousands. So this outside attack is not working. So what does the enemy do? He still does it today. Goes on the inside and attacks within the hearts of the people. Starts to attack from within, saying, all right, I can't seem to hit this church and knock it down from the outside. Let's go on the inside and remind people what money can do, what they can do with it, and maybe, just maybe, hold them back from giving the entire gift and trusting in the Lord completely. So that is where they weren't quite accountable with the gifts that God has been giving. They weren't quite ready to go all the way in. They saw the movement, but they couldn't be accountable with the gifts from God in that moment. And it shows up in their awe and honor of the Lord. Now, this is where you begin to say, God is Lord. They had watched what happens when the Romans give. They had watched the blessings that the Christians were getting. They wanted to be a part of it. And their awe and their worship of God, their honor of God, couldn't quite get them to the finish line. Now, this is a theme that's all throughout the Bible. Think about the very first story way back in Genesis of Cain and Abel. Do we think that story is about fruit and meat? Which one does God like better? Because that's what it seems like the story's about. They're like, there's two gifts. They're giving two gifts. What's the problem? One's fruit, one's meat. I don't understand. It's because it's not about the gift. It's about the giver. And every time you see giving come up throughout the Bible, it's about the giver. Who is the hero of Luke chapter 21? It's this widow. We see it in verse 3. She's this poor widow who has put in more than all the others, as these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. What did she put in? It was two copper coins. But it wasn't about the gift. It was about the heart of the giver. And that's what Jesus stops everyone and says, did you see that? He doesn't care about the amount. He cares about the heart that it's being given in. And that's what he continues to do all throughout the Bible. And this story, this message is the exact same thing. Barnabas, feeling the blessings of God in his heart, gives in a way that says, man, whatever I can do to pour gasoline on the fire that you are, God, I'm in. And I, since the fire, say, yes, we're in too. But 
we're all in, but not really. Uh, we're going to keep this part back. It's just the heart of the giver that's the story, which leads us to us. The message is here to see where we are. Where are we with the same question? Because we're part of this community of Christians. We're part of this church. And we're saying we're in. I believe we're all saying that. But has our heart followed the mind in the way that we honor and show our example and our accountability before God? The example, a couple weeks ago, I talked about Matthew 5, 15 through 16 with this analogy over here. With the lamp. And it says, Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And if you remember that particular message, it was that our example is shown both by the light and the actions that we do, but also in what we don't do, also in our inaction when we don't step up, when we don't represent Christ. The inactions are just as loud as the actions. When Barnabas sees the movement of God, his actions started with good deeds, and it shows up in every area of his life. When Ananias and Sapphira saw the movement of God, it said in 8, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? And she says, yes. And Peter says, how could you? conspire to test. And it was a test. Like, it was not like, they probably weren't thinking through the whole test, but the test is, I, I'm almost there, but I'm not sure this is really going to make that big a difference, and it matters more to us. They were doing a test with God, and that's what causes this problem. Going back to India, I mentioned the 200,000 girls currently in temple prostitution. When I was there, I met with this guy by the name of Joseph Souza. And I'm in this um, conference room, and he's saying a particular story that he had with God, a particular conversation with God 15 years ahead of time. And he says he's talking with God, and in that moment, he believed what God was saying, when you stand before me, it's not going to be just your actions that are looked at. But actually, your inaction will matter as well. And it hit me hard because I'm like, that is intense. If I have to think about all my inactions as well as my actions, I'm in trouble. And so I, it was just a, this moment of him going, you know, the prostitution issue in India is in the millions. And every time we look at it, and this is just India, it's overwhelming. What are we going to do about this? We can't even put a dent into this issue. And that's how we sort of leave it. But his inaction, he kept, he said, all right, there is this thing over here, this temple prostitution. And it's 200,000. It's still beyond what anyone can do. But if we try, if we move forward, maybe we can put a dent into that issue. And so what they do? They began by starting schools. And so, the, remember, it's the lowest of the lowest of the lowest. Uh, they're not being educated in any way. They're just stuck in this cycle. So they said, if we start teaching, if we start giving an education, and so they start building schools. And these aren't small schools. That's a big school. Uh, and they have, at this point, 15 years later, started 103 of those schools. 
And the concept is if we just give education, it's going to cause so many more things to happen. And that is what has happened. Out of these schools, 4,500 churches have been started. Now, it's illegal to convert someone in a church. But when you start to educate and you start to give to those that the, so many don't care about, the castoffs, those castoffs see what you're doing and they're the ones starting the churches. They're like, if you care about me, then I care about your God. I want to know more about your God. And so I'm like, 4,500, that seems a little, little, that sounds like a, that's a pastor number is what that is. That's what pastors say their churches are. And he goes, no, we have some criteria. You have to be over 25 people worshiping together in a building that you've built. And so we started visiting them, and there's these little tiny churches in all the villages, and over 25 people, and I'm like, there's 4,500 of these? Just blew my mind. Now it is just a dent into the issue, but they're doing it. They're, do, they're making the dent. And out of that, there was 5,000 kids who've graduated, and you got to think, I mean, it doesn't sound like a lot. 5,000 doesn't sound like a lot, but when you think they went through all the classes all the way through to graduation, that's... That's some time, and now it's just multiplying like crazy. And 8,000 girls have been removed from temple prostitution. 8,000. It's still not 200,000, and it's not hitting the million, but it's 8,000 lives. These girls, and they could do more, but it's, it's, you know, it's money. It's these, you have to pull them into something else and put them into houses. I visited a couple, and there's like 123 girls in one house. It's a large house. It's a crazy house. When we say God is good all the time, it's when we decide to be the hands and feet of God. When we decide to be the light. When we decide to be the good. God specifically says that we are an extension of him and he's going to work through us. It's up to us. And what stops us is it's overwhelming. It really is. It's not even getting close to the numbers of the issue over there, but it still matters. It's a dent. And what we do matters. Our actions matter, and our inaction matters. When Barnabas is overwhelmed and moved by God, he uses the blessings God has given him to bless others and move the church forward. As Ananias and Sapphira are blessed by God, they want to be a part of it, but they're stuck in a lukewarm phase. And here's the sad part. I think this is where most Christians are. This story is kind of about Christians who are stuck in that lukewarm phase. And if we're honest, that's where most Christians are. And they can't quite go all the way in, even though they believe and they're in this middle ground of, I still am not quite sure how far I want to go with this God thing. How much I truly want to trust. We are accountable for our actions. Do we look around and see the issues of our community? Do we say that we are the extension of who Christ is in our neighborhood, in our city, and our church? Are we going to be what God has called us to be because we are accountable for where God has put us right now? We're accountable for our dent. And it will show up in the way that we awe and honor our Lord. One of my favorite pictures from this last week in India is this one of my brother-in-law. He's the guy on the bottom, in case you weren't sure which one it is. The guy right there. 
<laughs> He's so funny. He's the one that took over at Valley Friends Church. Uh, he planted the, the church you guys um, I mean, he's the one that took over of the church you planted in Clovis. What you can't see in this picture, though, is that we are in the middle of the slums. It's four blocks with 40,000 people. The amount of trash, the amount of the smell that just knocks you in the face when you walk in there, it is intense. But you don't see that in his face, do you? Because what he's done is said, I don't care about the overwhelming issue, and it is overwhelming. The, the, the smell, the, the trash, the decay, all of it is overwhelming. And I can take that and go, well, what's the point? I mean, is God good? Or you can say, no, I will be the light of God in this moment. And I think that's what he's showing, is saying, I'm all in, God. I'm all in with where you have me right now. I'll be a dent in this moment. And this life that we live in, it's about this big and what the timeline of life looks like. And the world of decay and trauma and just disgusting, horrible things all across our world, it is so short. And God says, be the dent with the small portion of time that I've given you. Be the dent in your moment where you are right now. And then we can say, God is good all the time. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. I think there's two prayers we have to pray. One is of repentance, and one is of thanksgiving. Lord, we repent. We have we've allowed the overwhelming problems of this world and the problems in our life to be the reason why we don't do something for you. And we can't be that way anymore. We repent of it. And if you're here this morning, and maybe what you need to repent of is just continuing to say no to God. If you're here today, and you haven't made God Lord and Savior of your life, repent of the sin, repent of all of the, the continual pushback, and say, God, you know what? I'm in. And if that's you today, I want to pray for you. Will you raise your hand? I'm not going to pull you up front. I'm not going to do anything weird. But if you need to say yes to God today, just lift it up and leave it up for a second. Amen. Anyone else? Amen. God, our second prayer to you is thanksgiving. Uh, we are excited about this week because it's a chance to just give you all the glory once again and say no matter what our situation is, we are still thankful. And we are thankful for your blessings in the midst of the trial. We're thankful for who you are as a light within us, no matter what this world throws at us. God, we give you this time. We give you this moment. We thank you for the gift of the story of Acts 5. And we thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of our life. And the gift to be an extension of you today. In Jesus' name, amen.